The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? It's the last Friday in February. We have made it. We have made it. I hope that you're all keeping well, staying safe washing your hands, wearing your masks and being kind to yourself and each other. Today's episode is with the inspiring, wonderful, gorgeous Scottish writer Lorna King. Lorna is currently writing her new short film, Her Midas Touch, which we discuss. We also talk about uh, cats. There's chat of, not the film, the animal. Uh, <laughs> we talk about colonialism. We talk about the gatekeepers. We talk about um, moving schools at a young age and how that can affect you and how long it takes you to find your place. And yeah, just lo- lots of different things. Um, a really great episode. Lorna is just joyous. She is like a ray of sunshine. It really is the only way to describe her. As always, you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. And if you want to drop us a wee email, please feel free, persistentandnasty at gmail.com. For those of you who want to support the podcast and our initiative, there is a link in the description box to our PayPal. Um, To all of you who have already donated the price of a cuppa to us and in some cases many cuppas thank you really uh, incredible and we are extraordinarily uh, humbled and thankful now i think since lorna is such a ray of sunshine that something fruity if you fancy it maybe a wee fruit tea fruit juice um i mean obviously always water but pop maybe a bit of lemon or lime in it um and depending on the time of day you're watching it Hey, watching it? Apparently we're a show now. Apparently we are a show. <laughs> the time of day that you are listening to us, maybe a little cocktail. As always, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Never apologise for the cat. Never apologise for a meow. 
when Misha's sister lived with her um I don't know if you've seen it on the Instagram but she has a bald cat a speed oh my gosh speed. I remember you mentioned this Misha <laughs> yeah because the last time when we spoke I came into the meeting really flustered because I'd <laughs> lost <laughs> Suki and the dogs had run up so it was when we were staying at my mum's for lockdown and the dogs had escaped the kitchen and made it upstairs into like Suki's pad. Oh, no. And we were so scared. I was honestly, I was looking for like, I mean, you can't even look look for clumps of fur. I was looking for like just bits <laughs> oh of Suki. God, that's horrible. God, I remember that you're like, my dog's going to be in the cat. Uh, bye, I'm here. <laughs> but hi, lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. The only bonus about Suki is she could probably find like a kind of beige background and mesh into it and you wouldn't know she's there. <laughs> she's more like a lavender colour because she's got kind of oh. like slightly black fur. Oh. I say fur, it's like peach fuzz. It, she's got like black peach fuzz on a kind of like grey skin. So she looks like a wee lavender cat. <laughs> so she's not like one of those like pink skinned like mole rats. No, she isn't. She isn't that bad. We're talking about I the will alien continue. cat. Louise has just arrived and we're talking about the alien cat. <laughs> I know. I will continue to like advocate for this bald cat until I die. And people people hate her and that's okay. She's, she's, just, she's just misunderstood. I, 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 that's all. Like, you know, we're just not on the same wavelength, me and Suki. That's all it is. And I just don't trust things that look like they're inside out. That's all. Like, I just, I mean, I just feel like that's fair. <laughs> So Lorna, what's what's your cat called and, and how hairy is are they? Oh, he is well, his name is Anansi. Um, he's technically not even my cat. So what's happening is I'm living in a friend's place and she is away in Barcelona. And she was like, she decided to go for like six months and was like, I've got a cat. I can't really take him with me because I've just traveled with him. And he's like an anxious cat, he's got anxiety. So she was like, Oh, can someone, you know, come in and you know stay in my flat so that it's like still lived in and then also take care of my cat? And I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll do it. And uh, gosh, how long has it been now? Because I came here in October. So I know um, Jess will, should be back, I think, in April. But again, that's, you know, COVID stuff. We don't know what happened with COVID. But um, yeah, you know, Jess is messing we and Nancy. And Nancy's so cute. I love him. <laughs> I love that. What a bargain. A flat and a cat. I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> my, uh, my friend's uh, sister got a Maine Coon cat, which is like, they're huge. They're like... Like the size of um, like they're like wild tigers. Cats. They're like they're massive. Ooh. This thing though looks so intense. It looks like it used to belong to a powerful old wizard, and it knows <laughs> the secrets of the universe. Like it's got this really intense stare. Like it's looking right into your soul. I it literally love it. stores secrets in its fur. Okay, oh so I actually need everybody to send me pictures of yes. the- <laughs> for yeah. the Instagram and the bio of the description of the episode. Yeah, do you know what? Yeah, because Anansi's so cute. So I'm definitely sending you a picture. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the content people need. We're like lockdown 3.0. Like yeah. we really, we really and now that we know the timeline of this fecking lockdown, like, we need cats to we keep. We all us just going. have a little pause on the timeline though, because I don't trust there shouldn't be a timeline for a start i know well you can't timeline a virus you can't you can't give it a deadline it's just gonna go i'm gonna work at my own pace okay don't give me a deadline yeah data not dates data not dates amazing 
I know. Anyway, here we are <laughs> podcasting <laughs> through lockdown still, but we have the amazing Lorna King with us. Welcome, Ooh. Lorna. Yes. Thank you for Ooh. having me. Oh, we are so excited to have so you. And now there's silence. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I felt like I'd done my part. I was like, great, I've done my intro speech. Now someone else will take over. <laughs> I was like, oh. We haven't actually, we've been, it's been so long because of scheduling that we've actually had one where the three of us are here that we've forgotten our etiquette. So each one was just waiting for the other to speak and like, okay, is it you? Is it you now? Great. So Lorna, just I'm before we started all. recording, you said that you are in a redraft. Oh God, yeah, right. So, right, where do I even begin? Because it's like, oh, Why I, don't I, I, begin- I, like- I know what to do. Why don't you start yes. with the very beginning? So it's a very good place to start. Um, yes, it is. Damon Julie says, um, "I know, right? It just makes you happy when you think. I love of, it. You know, it makes you feel better." Um, Tell the listeners a little bit about you, potted history, all of that, and then we can move on to current affairs. Sure. Yes, <laughs> okay, I can do that kind of in a nutshell. So, right, basically, um, I, well, I identify myself as like a Ghanaian Scot because I was born in Ghana, but I've been in Scotland for ever um so like yeah I, I feel like I like I'm ethnically Ghanaian but like I'm culturally Scottish <laughs> honestly if I went back to Ghana now they'd be like what is this who are you <laughs> are you really from here so you know it's one of those things where it's a bit like ah identity but like I found that like the older that I've gotten I just I, I felt more like I belong here like I have that sense of belonging which has been really nice really grounding um but even before like when when we were born in Ghana we moved first to England um and pottered about in England for a bit and then moved off to Scotland when I was 14 so that is almost 15 years ago now which is bloody ages man. wow anyway so yeah so that's you know been my life um my mom is a retired doctor my brother works for a bank my sister is doing her PhD so I'm like the creative black sheep <laughs> everyone else is like really academic and I'm like yes I'm just gonna like make films and write scripts and it's like they're super supportive but it's just funny like if you're looking at if you're looking at it on paper it's like what <laughs> so, you know but yeah that's that's basically me in a nutshell yeah it's a great nutshell <laughs> the finest <laughs> the finest of nutshells the finest yeah. of nutshells <laughs> yeah. um so how- in England where are you so oh sorry Lou Oh, no, no, carry on. Um, whereabouts in England were you first, Lorna? Ooh, we moved around a lot. So uh, when we first moved to England, um, we lived in the northeast of England. So in a little village called Eaglescliff, which was an adorable little place, but like there was nothing going on there. Really, really pretty. It's great to go for a holiday. You can't do anything else there. Um, so I'm kind of glad that we left. Um, and then we moved to, to Surrey, London area like the border where people are like oh that's not really London and that's not really sorry like no one wants to <laughs> claim so we were there and then we moved up to to Motherwell first actually we lived in Motherwell I know every time I say Motherwell people are like huh but <laughs> Motherwell was uh, interesting Great choice. yeah exactly like it was it really wasn't as bad but like I we also lived in like the worst part of Motherwell <laughs> it was like literally like the, the story I love telling right when we lived in Motherwell I literally witnessed an actual daylight robbery 
but I didn't realize it was a robbery. So what happened? Right, okay, let me just explain. I was at home, I was doing the dishes. Honestly, I was always like, how could you possibly not know? But seriously, I really didn't. I was very sheltered. I was like doing the dishes and like the kitchen window was facing like the other, like the opposite building. And I was just casually like washing the dishes, humming, whatever. And these two guys kind of walk along and then break the window on one of the opposite buildings. And I, I was like, oh, silly men, they've forgotten their keys. So now they have to break their window to get into their flat. And, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, really, you know, whatever. And then they come out with a flat screen TV and start running down. And I was like, did I just see something I'm not supposed to see? Like, oh, that's nice. They're oh just taking the TV for a walk. Give it some fresh air. That's yeah, fine. Like, it could have been innocent. Like, oh, maybe they need to fix their TV and they forgot their keys. Like, that was really like my thought, my thought process until I was like, I really can't pretend anymore. I definitely saw someone get robbed. I didn't say anything. Like, no, I wasn't about to get, like, I was not about to snitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a true mother well. A true mother well, mother wellian. Yeah, no mother wellonian. Yeah, snitches get snitches. That's how it works. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I was like, I didn't see anything today. I don't know. Like, literally, the police came and boarded it up before I was like, oh, okay, it was definitely a robbery. Like, I really thought. It was just something innocent. <sighs> but no. I love that. That's definitely That's another script. That's a script in the making. Just a short film, just that. Yeah. And that just proves that the sort of the cultural affinity to Scotland, because you were literally like, I'm no grass from the minute you arrived. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> literally, like maybe in England I might have, but no. <laughs> you have to know where you are. Read the room. Like <laughs> Oh God. How did you um, find that move though from England up to Scotland? Because actually culturally we are really quite different. Really different. Because I remember the first time I came to Scotland was like the summer in the summer. And then we moved here like a few months later. And my mom was working in Inverclyde. So this is like the West West. And so like we came straight from England where I remember like when we were living in England, like still game was on TV. And my brother was like, oh, this is hilarious. And I literally couldn't, I couldn't understand anything. I was literally like, how do you know what they're saying? So like to come from literally not understanding something as pretty simple to understand a still game without subtitles, going straight to Greenock where they have properly strong accents. Like I really had to concentrate sometimes. And it's not even just like the accent being different, but the way people speak, like the way people put words together, it's not something that you'd expect. You know, like someone from England would say something someone from Scotland might say the exact same thing but put a put it in a different word order and you're just like wait oh right that's so it always took me like a little while to get there um but eventually I was like you know what I get it but I love I I really love the move like especially once like I settled into school so I went to a school called Taylor High when we were in Motherwell um and I remember at first like I just didn't get any other jokes or anything <laughs> but after like a month or something I was like this place is hilarious like once I like understood like the humor and stuff um but I thought the move was great because like England was fine but there was just something about being in Scotland that was just different I don't know what it was just so much more welcoming it felt like people were like oh we we, ex- we accept you for like who you are and I know I know not everyone has had that experience but I think I was just really lucky because in England like you know <laughs> you had to survive you, you know you could get bullied like I got bullied a lot when I was in England but like I came to Scotland and people were not like oh she's English like I really expected that to be a thing but there was none of that like people were just really lovely like and I was like oh so this is why it's to just like relax and be into yourself and like I found I had that confidence to get into the music that I really liked rather than like 
follow the crowd or whatever. So I I I found myself when we moved to Scotland. And that's like one of the reasons I just don't ever want to move. I just want to stay here. I love that so much. I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. But isn't it interesting that you were like, oh, they're going to hate me because I'm English? Because that rhetoric is pushed so much, yes. I think. And people assume that Scottish people hate. No, we, we just hate the government we don't actually yeah do. basically <laughs> like I was I was literally coming from one school being like oh god I'm being bullied for like I was being bullied for being tall my hair is different yada yada um and I was like oh god there's gonna be all that and also I'm English but there was literally none of that and I was like I've been lied to people told me not to eat haggis and haggis is amazing what is going on like honestly I was really I was really pissed off at people that were like oh don't eat it because it's like sheep stomach and offal and all this and I actually eat it and I'm like this is fantastic you people are so close-minded like whatever yeah, it's not awful. amazing it's- <laughs> 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 I'm not going to apologise. <laughs> Louise didn't even like just, it was an immediate eye roll. Even react. <laughs> yeah. When did you discover your uh, passion for writing, Lorna? Yeah, I'm really interested Ooh. in that too. Because I'm always fascinated by people, because uh, it's true for me as well, like how you don't have it in the family at all. Like nobody else in the family is creative and you're kind of like out there on your own me island. Um, so yeah, tell us about that. It was, it's an interesting story because I, I remember when I was like 12, I wanted to be a novelist because I loved reading books and I was just like, oh, I really love reading books. I do really well in English at school. Maybe I can write a book. And I remember trying, (laughs) trying to write a book and I might actually still use that idea at some point because the idea was really good. Actually, I was like, oh, this is great. But um, I tried writing it. And I would write like two pages and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm starting to write. And then I'd go back to it like 30 minutes later and it was rubbish. And of course, like there was no one around me to be like, of course, it's rubbish. You're 12. And this is the first time you're writing something. You just have to keep <laughs> going. And that's like, it's like a big thing if you don't have someone around you to let you know that it's okay to be bad at something at first. You know, everyone, like my whole family are just so like academic. So it all seems like they're just good at everything immediately. And I was just, I was not that. <laughs> isn't that such an interesting thing though like it's something that we all need in life from such a young age Mm -hmm. just that reminder of it's it's actually okay to not be good straight away because that's not how that's not how it works what uh like really at 12 years old to even have that thought process is really amazing (laughs) because at 12 you're so in your own like yeah oh my god what the fuck is going on with my body why is it doing all these things what is happening or maybe that was just me at 12 I don't know don't anybody speak to me I want my room black I'm never leaving it again I am just playing Alanis Morissette no one talked actually no I wasn't 12 but you know you get the feeling there was was Nirvana and it was yeah uh, like you're trying to discover yourself. So this, I feel like, you know, like pre-pubescent kids, especially girls, like there's so much happening that you're trying to get used to. And you're also trying to figure out, you're also supposed to kind of figure out where you're supposed to go in life. It's a bit much. Like really at the age of 12, I was supposed to know what I wanted to do in my future. Like who knows when they're 12? Come on now. Like, so yeah. So at that point I was like, clearly I'm terrible at this. So I'm just not going to bother and so I just stopped because I was like I'm never going to be good enough to write a book you know who did I think I was but um so that was I kind of put paid to that just a little bit fast forward to gosh what year was it 26 I think it was 
2016. So around the summer, towards the, la- the latter end of 2016, um, I started getting work like as an extra. So like the first extra job that I did um, was for, it's called The Lock now, it was on um, ITV, it was like a limited series. And I was like, I, the minute I stepped onto the set, I was like, I'm home. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Cause like I had gone to uni and I graduated and I was like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Like that, that post-graduation depression is surreal. And I couldn't find a job. I just couldn't. And I had a whole degree and I was like, this is useless. What am I doing? So I just, I was floundering. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do myself. I have all these years ahead of me, like an extra, at least maybe 75 years or something. What am I going to do with all that time? You know, like this can't be it. Right. Um, so <laughs> I was I started, I kind of just was like, all right, let me just put my, you know, my feet into this pool and that pool. So when I started getting the job as an extra and I got onto the set the first time, I was like, oh, this is now I know what it is to know what I want to do. Cause I want to have I want to have something to do with this, you know, whether it's like performing or because I'm a singer as well. And so whether it's like whether I'm performing or anything, like I just wanted to do something to do with like filmmaking. Um and I was just going to try and try my hand at performing and go to like drama school and stuff. And I got accepted into a drama school, but I could not pay the fees. So I was like, well, let me just sidestep that one. Uh, but the thing that really got me into writing, like at the stage, once I had discovered I wanted to have something to do with filmmaking was I was supposed to be an extra for The Avengers when it was filming in Edinburgh. <laughs> and I was, work- I was working with weather experience at, at the time. And I literally quit that job so that I could do this because it was just, it was like two weeks of paid work. And I was like, I'll make so much more doing that than, you know, breaking my back at bloody weather spins <laughs> of all places. Um, so yeah, I literally quit the job, did that. And they literally like every, like the day before everything, like cancel me, cancel me, cancel me. Oh yeah, we don't need you at all. And oh, I know, I uh... raging. I was so angry. I literally, the thought that came to my mind was, if I wrote it, I bet they couldn't do that to me. <laughs> so literally, remind, like, remind me. This is gonna. This is like a, such a stupid question, but remind me. It's been so long since I've been an SA. But do you get paid if you get a if it's can if it's cancelled within twenty four hours? Do you still get paid, or did they just like like now nah, you're not on set, so you're not getting paid? The first the first day that they cancelled me, they paid me like sixty pounds for the okay. cancellation fee. But after that, nothing. after that, yeah, and I was like, Ugh. oh, okay. But it was literally the anger of that that like pushed me to write my first thing that pushed me to go, it doesn't matter if it's bad, just finish it. Then you can say you've written something. So literally, I remember I spent like two weeks just writing throughout the night and I wrote the most terrible play. I mean, a really awful play, a really, really long and terrible play, but I wrote something and I finished it. And that was when I was like, okay, now I can move on and be like, that's what I want to, this is what I want to do. But it was, it was a long road to get to this point. <laughs> that's such good advice though. Like what you've hit on, what you knew already, like starting out is what takes so many writers or emerging writers, fledging writers, whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. to figure out is like, just spew it out onto the page. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. Do not self edit. Just get it out of your exactly. body and your brain. <laughs> Oh, and it's like, that's the advice I still need for myself even now. Like I'm stuck in the middle of a first big redraft and I'm just like, I am struggling with these first draft blues. I need to just get it down. But it's, I don't know, like, you know, with lockdown and everything, I'm just finding it difficult, but it still remains good advice, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, you also, you've also touched on something else that writers experience is that it doesn't matter how long in the tooth you get, <laughs> you still struggle to take your own advice. It's like, I know this. I know this is a truth. I need exactly. to just get it done. But my inner saboteur is just like 
holding me back or saying, I think you should go clean the bathroom. Exactly. Those five pages done. <laughs> literally anything. And like for me, I can't, I'm not even that productive. <laughs> like procrastinating. I will literally nap. Like and that's not even at least clean your place. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I will sleep. <laughs> Oh, but I just, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to calm down a bit more now. Like the producers that we've got doing On Her Midas Touch, that's Victoria Thomas and Siobhan Fahey, lovely ladies. And I just, I'm so glad that they're on board um, because they've, especially like Victoria, because Victoria is a black woman. She's also African. And she was like, the one of the reasons I'm doing this big, I know I'm going a bit too quickly, but like one of the, like one of the reasons, like, <laughs> one of the reasons I'm doing this big overhaul is that she could see the things I was trying to say, but, sort of not really putting down on paper because it's my own lived reality to so other people who is not that their lived reality they don't necessarily see that and she was like yeah me as a black woman I could see the, like the gaps but other people can't see that and I was like oh she's right I'm like yeah of course when you look at the script you're not going to see this this and that because you know I'm not I'm not thinking about it in that way so she's really helped me to to flesh out and make it this it's oh yeah I'll be really happy with it once I'm like done with the reader <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited because I remember um, you sent Persistent and Nasty her Midas touch ages and ages and ages. It must have been one of your first drafts of it. And I think it, it was. And we, because um, we'd had a script call out, but I think that it you sent it after a script call out, so we didn't have anything Huge. for it. But I remember reading it and just being like, oh my God, this script is special. It's oh. got something. I like, so I am so excited to see and I'm so buzzing that you've hit your crowdfunder that you kickstarter that you did big like honestly like the the stress is real I don't think I'd ever want to do it again honestly I'll support someone else doing it uh maybe not for me (laughs) because I was also like working full-time so I'm also I'm working for NHS England for their test and trace program so I was doing that full-time literally hiding my phone from a manager so that I could crowdfund on Twitter (laughs) it was a lot and I might have had like a slight breakdown come like January but then I got over it (laughs) (laughs) hold on just hold on till then um how did your relationship with your producers come about actually Um, because it's really amazing that you found you know people that you click with and that's yeah I'm really I'm fine that I'm actually I'm so like lucky because it just it doesn't happen like that normally um because obviously Amy was on board Amy's the director Amy Willemser um and she I knew her from when we were at Screen Academy in gosh 2018 to 2019 (laughs) that feels like five years ago and it wasn't uh but yeah anyway so that's how I knew Amy but so Victoria and Siobhan um because we got shortlisted for Sharp Shorts Victoria uh, yeah actually Victoria is also she's written and she's directing her own project and it got greenlit with Sharp Shorts but that's how I met Victoria because we were all on Zoom on the Zoom Sharp Shorts program together um so I didn't even really get to know her properly because it wasn't like we were in a room where if you had a break you can go and chat with people you know Zoom was a bit restrictive but like we decided to sort of keep in touch anyway um and we had a producer that was on board before Uzma amazing woman I love her but she had to step off because she was doing Molly and Mac which then started refilming and um, so I remember this like after when this is when we we're starting to think of crowdfunding me and Amy 
and um, Victoria sort of called up and was like, oh, do you happen to have Uzma's um, details? And I was like, oh yeah, she was like, kind of passed on her details because I think she was looking for um, another producer at that point. And then we just started chatting from there. She was just asking me about how it was going. And I was like, oh, you know, we're crowdfunding and we're doing this. And she was like, oh, anything I can do to help? And I was like, really? Aren't you already super busy <laughs> doing like, because the sharp shorts, it doesn't sound like it's a walk in the park. You're making a whole short film in a pandemic. <laughs> like, so I just, I thought she would be way too busy, but she's been so like generous with her time. She's been so like, her, her being able to come on, on board as a producer and along with Siobhan, because Siobhan produced My Loneliness Is Killing Me. Um, and I was like, after winning short, oh my God. <laughs> so this was, I know, and literally I got in touch with her like completely differently. So Victoria had decided to come on and I was like, oh thank God, we have someone, yay. Um, and I contacted, so I did them, um, what's it called the less is more residency the scottish one and i met michael lee richardson on that residency so and of course he wrote my loneliness is killing me and um i messaged him and i was like oh hey so like do you have like the details for your producers because um, we're kind of looking for producers so then he sent me siobhan's email and she was like oh yeah like i'd love to it'd be great so and like siobhan and victoria have worked so well in tandem and they never met <laughs> so i'm like this is really like it's so incredible and i'm just I just need to make sure that I don't got my own bit about writing. <laughs> you won't. It's going to be great. I absolutely believe it. In like to, at the core of my being, it's going to be good. Thank you. Do you know I what? I I find you absolutely like mind blowing because I feel like you're oh. in every room. You're just a master networker, Lorna. I absolutely am obsessed with your like audacity to just be like, hi, how are you? I'm needing a producer. And just, I like, I love it so much that you just have like absolutely grafted your, your career. You've really like, it's just such a a lesson for people, I think, to see how you have just absolutely got yourself in all of these rooms. And it's It's, because you work so hard. I mean, thank you for that. It's it's not always like super easy to do. Like I've definitely made some mistakes in uh, networking and I'm just like, oh God, I really hope that person never remembers me. Um, But it happens, you know, I have to just kind of tell myself it happens. It's it's fine. But I think it it kind of caters a bit to a strength of mine because I like people, which is odd to say especially because I've worked in hospitality for years I should hate people right now <laughs> honestly people always tell me oh yeah when you work in hospitality for a while you hate people but actually I just I like people I like talking to people I like finding out more about people like I did my my undergrad degree was in psychology and that's just because I'm interested in people <laughs> so that's I think that's one of the things that really helps me out in like the networking side of things but also knowing that if that's my strength which is good I have to look out for like my neuroatypical friends yeah neuroatypical yeah and also like friends that are just shy who aren't necessarily able to network so like whenever I'm in a room with someone and I'm like oh I know that they're shy I'll just like go with them of course I can't do that now <laughs> since you have to be indoors but it's something that like I know a lot of people have been like oh you're really good at it and I'm like oh I didn't realize I was just talking to people apparently that's networking cool okay so then I will try and like take people along with me that might not find it as easy so like I feel like that's kind of my responsibility like I know it's not really but I feel like it is <laughs> that's so beautiful that is amazing and it's you you you've like got something that's worth its weight in gold which is just understanding that networking is chatting to people and being genuinely interested in them and what they have to say and and I just so love that I love that you are the little like 
the little lifeboat for shyer, more introverted people. I just think that's so gorgeous, and we need more of that. That's so sweet. It's hard. And it's really yeah. hard because I know I've moved. I've literally been to six different high schools. Like I've been the new girl a lot, so I know how hard it is. Like if you really have that, and I'm not naturally shy. But I think the more I moved as well, the more I was like, oh, God, everyone has had these clicks for years and I'm the new girl again. So, like, I I get it. So I'm always like, I don't ever want people to feel like, you know, especially in, in an industry like this where networking is such a big deal. Like, a lot of people get jobs just off the back of, oh, I met this person and I like them. But, like, that's so unfair to people who can't necessarily do that. So it's just it's something that I always keep in mind that, like, you know, my strength might be someone else's weakness. So let me try and plug it. For them and then they can even do the same for me because I can't do everything. So oh, it's just it's something Lorna, I always keep in mind. I love it. You're a queen. Your name should be oh. Lorna Queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> it's just it's fascinating, like what how you speak about the other women in your project as well, though. And it's that thing of like I think like attracts like. So you yeah. you've said all this lovely stuff about all these lovely people, but actually that's because they're attracted to you. And they're getting that, like, they get that from you. So they want to be part of that as well. So why, like, why, like, if I was a producer and I met, chatted with you, why would I not want to work with you? Because that's, look at the, look at the energy and passion and genuine care and authenticity I'm getting from someone. For me, that's ticking all the boxes. Thanks. It's, it's, honestly it's like it's it's the same thing with me like I want to work with people it's something that's really important to me that I don't just work with people because they're talented I want to work with someone because I care about them as a person so like you know someone may be right on paper but if they're a terrible person I don't want to work with them like I'm just I, I see all the stuff in the news about like how people like just read and keep getting work and I'm just like you know just reading what's the other guy Brian the other one that did x-men whose name I'm just completely forgetting at the moment Name's in Brian. Some Brian singer. Someone else, isn't it? He's not even working. Dropping really. <laughs> exactly. This is it. Exactly. But it's like, how did they keep getting work when people clearly knew that this stuff was going on? And it just made me think, people were just there because of what they could do. And I'm just, I can't. Just the way that I work, I don't ever want to go into something being like, all right, well, this person can do something for me. Therefore, I'm gonna, you know, have a blind eye to everything else that they're doing. They have to be a person of character for me so even if they might not be as experienced as the next person I'm like if you're a person you have to be the person that I want to invest my time in and and stuff like that like I had um, a mentor when I was at Screen Academy well I say she's a mentor but she was a tutor at the time um Aileen Ritchie and just like there were times I was like falling apart because that MA was a difficult course (laughs) oh my gosh um but like you know, whenever I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I've, I've not been able to send in the script at this time. I just, I've been really struggling. She would literally be like, don't worry about it. How are you doing? Like, she really cared about me for me and not like for what I could do. And I just, I find that I so value that. I was like, that's what I need in my life. I don't, it's so hard to explain, but it's like, I don't want someone just because of what they can do for me. Like, do you get, do you get what I'm saying? I want that person because they are a good person. Like that's literally it. And you know, I maybe I might not have like as quick a career as some other people about that, but who cares? Like it's it's a it's a marathon, it's not a race. Exactly. And as long as I'm happy, I'm good, you know? Yes. I saw the most the amazing I saw the most amazing Instagram post recently that totally like like blew my mind, but also like felt like the final jigsaw piece. 
It was about, um, and I'm going to totally butcher my explanation of like trying to explain what this post said. Um, but if I look for it, I'll never find it. Anyway, so it was Fair. something along the lines of um, when you think about the qualities in yourself that people love about you, like, are they things like, oh, I'm a really, like, I'm really helpful. I'm really good at um, doing the dishes. I make a really, like, I make a really good, like, stew. It, they're all, these are all things that are like services to other people opposed to like yes. recognizing that you can be loved for having a great smile like yes just lighting up a room like just me, like being like a, a kind of interesting person to talk to like things that are just like innately you and yeah. people don't think about them we always think about like how we can serve other people exactly and, I just it, it makes me crazy like that's literally exactly it like if I you know, touch wood. But let's if I had an accident tomorrow and I had brain damage and I couldn't write anymore. How many of these people would still be around me? Like, that's how I, I see it. I shouldn't just be someone in your life because, oh, she, you know, she can get to this point in her career. And if I'm with her, you know, I can do. And so I, I see it that way with other people as well. So that's, that's just the way I want to live my life. You know, I just... All the rest of it is drama and stress, and I cannot be bothered with the drama and stress unless I'm writing it. It's pure sunflower energy. Yes, sunflower <laughs> energy. Excellent. I want to get sunflowers. I love it. Okay, Misha, Lauren is coming for your sunflower crown. <laughs> I'm happy to share my sunflower yes, crown. Yes, I'm so happy to be sharing. There's, there's enough sun for all the sunflowers. This is true. Exactly. There is plenty of sun. Exactly. Like there's no reason to, this is it's something that really gets me because, you know, like even aside from like film and career and all that, I always think about the way it is for like immigrants, the way it's always like, oh, they're only, they're, you know, useful because this person from Turkey is now a doctor in the NHS. And I'm like, but would they be less worthy of being in the UK if they weren't a doctor? Like it's stuff like that that really like gets me. There's a real classism in that, but it's, it's yeah, I, I keep my eye out for things like that and just you know make sure to not keep it in I, I always have to look at things really critically so that nothing just like, kind of sinks into my mind without my realizing you know the way that can happen and you're like when did I get this opinion I don't remember that so it's one of, it's one of these things I've gone off on a complete tangent there but you know no no not <laughs> at all did we talk I feel like we talked about class last week it's really interesting class classism is a um yeah it's a, it's terrible it's so well, I mean, like yeah, deeply terrible. entrenched <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's so like deeply entrenched though it's it's amazing how so entrenched it is that a lot of people don't even notice and yeah. you have to do a lot of work to unlearn it before you even realize how bad it is like I didn't really notice until like I started reading different texts and talking to different people and being like oh shoot no this is actually really bad and this is crazy like how have we lived like this you know yeah it's wild yeah it's I like think what it, you yeah, it, it was because I was like it's really bad in the UK and I was like but then I don't know what it's like in other countries because I don't live in other countries and I was like obviously you don't live in other countries Elaine um oh, wild I, but it, it's um, like what you said about um you don't recognize you've been thinking it these things like start as like small things I mean it's even like yeah. the, way, the way Donald Trump was like changing small things until the point where you're like why are we now in a fascist state exactly but like just, they've been oh. in a fascist state for a while but it was just like drip fed into the point of like exactly and, and it was so it's so odd it was it was really interesting to see in real time how people who had escaped from countries like that 
being like, we know we're looking at this guy is dangerous. And then being like, no, he's not that bad. Like he's just a ridiculous guy with, you know, a ridiculous wig or hair or whatever. And then four years later, here we are. <laughs> and it's like, can you know, it's part, you know, part of that classism is just not listening to people that aren't deemed worthy of being listened to. Mm-hmm. So even though we can learn something from each other, it's the, the system, like the structure, the way it's built, it all needs to come down basically I'm like one of those radical people <laughs> so you're on the right podcast babes you're on the right podcast 100% burn yeah. it to the fucking ground honestly all of it has to go here's <laughs> the revolution like mm-hmm. honestly I'm so excited for this industry and like all of the creative industries I just I mean maybe it is because we only speak to people with the same opinions as us <laughs> that's a fair point <laughs> I really feel Your like we're <laughs> I'm gonna really I really love my echo chamber though like I'm really I'm really yes! happy with the people I speak to I love you all so much but like yeah. I, really I feel, feel safe in my echo chamber <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> please don't make me leave <sighs> but it is that I really feel like there are so many people now who are on the same page, like pushing our industry in a much healthier and more inclusive and more diverse and more, more radical. But why is it radical? Exactly. This is the thing. Like, oh, it's it's really often about how people are like, oh yeah, being woke and being radical is, you know, the in thing. And I'm like, it shouldn't really be a trend. We're literally just wanting to show life the way it is. Literally, disabled people exist. Fat people exist and we're happy. Like black people exist. I, you, like it's not as though we're shooting for the stars and we're talking about aliens on Mars. It's literally just life as it is. We just yeah, want to represent people that haven't been. And if those if those aliens on Mars existed, we would give them a space too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they'd want to. I think they'd be like, guys, you need to get your shit together. together. <laughs> like, yeah. To be fair, they would be like, who are you earthlings on about? <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> It's, like, it's, it's there's the a notion we haven't put out a signal this whole time yeah. <laughs> you guys are a fucking cesspit of shit <laughs> they know we're just trapped here that's the only reason we're still here honestly yeah <laughs> get me off of this rock uh yeah it's the notion that <laughs> practicing compassion is considered a radical act is that's the bit yeah. that's really frightening it's just like really Wild. this really shouldn't be radical <laughs> like it really shouldn't be <laughs> and yeah people really act like it's a big thing and it's like oh you're pushing the bar you're revolutionary this is activism and I'm like hmm? <laughs> no <laughs> oh you're going bye Louise I'm so sorry Thank I double booked myself <laughs> I'm so sorry I just wanted oh, to come worry. in and, and, and see you and, and, and hear you hear from you <laughs> my loves <laughs> <laughs> oh I was lovely to meet you Louise <laughs> Um, I freaking love podcasting with brilliant people. I know. Oh, I just this just makes so my big. life. I know. <laughs> I love people. I love empathy. <laughs> I love compassion. I love sunflowers. This this is the dream. But do you of know what a, you of mean, a Thursday like, afternoon? Yeah, it's like as Louise said though, that thing about and you're basically all saying it is you know that compassion and empathy is some sort of radical act. But I kind of question myself all the time because there's so I know so many people who are so authentic and kind and giving and caring and empathetic if I didn't already say that so how are we at that in a society that that is a big deal like that it it blows my mind all the time that people don't think like that yeah 
I don't know if it's you know, like you know the effect of gosh everything on the news and social media is generally like so negative we don't really get to see a lot of positive stuff and also like you were saying like I think people just being naturally compassionate and kind they don't really see it as a big thing so I feel like that's what is getting lost a bit there mm. in that oh everything is negative and oh I just kind of want to stay in my bubble a little bit but people don't realize that just the everyday compassion is the big thing they just don't see it as a big thing so I think that's that's what's kind of muddying things up a bit and so you only ever get to see like oh you know this kid is like running a marathon to raise a GoFundMe for his mother to pay her cancer bills which is not a feel-good story but it's stuff like that that people think are oh yeah that's the big brave thing but no it's a little everyday things that you do for the people around you in your community it's radical <sighs> acts of kindness I one of my um I used to have a manager at House of Fraser um, Tiffany and she was an inspiration to me she she was just one of those like people that just like had so much kindness and love for the world and oh. she I mean you couldn't do this now but she used to like buy an extra coffee in the morning and just give it to a stranger and just say have oh. a lovely day and like it's such a kind of like overly nice thing to do but it's also super easy and it makes such a massive difference yeah I th- it just it stuck with me like such oh. a kind thing to do and I love it that's amazing I oh I love that sort of thing because it's literally little things like that or even taking the time to if I don't know someone has like a bit of toilet paper on their shoe just being like hey you know this is the case like it's tiny things it doesn't have to be a big thing you know yeah like when I was in the clubs and my back would get sweaty and random girls would say shall I dab that for you in the bathroom oh yes please wipe my sweaty back like (laughs) random acts of kindness guys we love it I miss I miss you know drunk girls in the club bathrooms honestly they're my favorite people the whole culture and I just I miss it I am desperate to know if it like so maybe our listeners in other countries, is it the same everywhere? Because the drunk girl conversations in bathrooms, I don't, it's a joy. I know. I, you know, I have no idea because I've only ever been clubbing in Scotland. Have I been clubbing in England? No, actually, I've never been out in England. <laughs> That's really strange. Because I've been down since I moved up. Um, I wonder, I, I would hope it's the same everywhere because it feels like such a safe space. Like it's just oh, girls in the bathroom. Like there's nothing. I know you don't. You don't feel the need to sort of do anything extra. You don't feel the need to hide. It's just like oh, I love you. I love you too. Like it's fun. Like I love it. You know. So I would hope it's the same everywhere. But I know not all countries have that safe space technically for for women especially. So I don't know. But it's one of those tiny things that I really missed in lockdown. Yeah. I don't even go out that much, but I miss it. <laughs> like oh man. I just miss the random chats. Uh You'd be standing, like, you know, standing in the queue, because there's always a fucking queue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Standing in the queue, and somebody will be like, I love your lipstick. What shade is it? Oh, Oh. I got it. Such and such. Oh, great. Amazing. Thanks. I'm going to make sure and get that. Or, you know. Oh, your nails are really cool. Yeah, they're from uh, a go to a place called Swoon Nails in Glasgow. They're amazing. And oh, great. I'm going to go and check them out. Like just all those little things are like, even like like all the things like, you know, when people are having a total breakdown in the toilets because somebody, your partner has been an utter dick, whether their partner is male, female or anywhere on the gender spectrum. 
if your partner's being an asshole, your partner's being an asshole. Exactly. Um, and um, like those moments of being in the bathroom, and I remember I, I see them so clearly in my mind of people going, "Oh, and me being like, no, we are not having this. Look <laughs> exactly. at you." Look how fucking amazing you are. Look how beautiful you are. Let's get you some lippy on and you're going to go out there and enjoy yourself and don't let them dull your power. Yes. And I, one of the things I love about that is like, it's it's just all the girls in the bathroom do it. No one knows each other, but everyone's yes. like, no, don't cry. You're amazing. I just, I love that. And then, you know, when you have in like a late night McDonald's or something and you're just like sloppily in chips, just chatting strangers. I love it. I miss it so much, honestly. Oh, it's that support, though, isn't it? It's like what you mm-hmm. like, even just bringing it back to you and your producers and um, the film. It's like when, and because I think, as particular as females when we're younger, we are pitted against each other in society. There is this, yes, it definitely is, and it really kicks in when we hit puberty and all of that. Um, but actually there's something so powerful in that support that we can give one another. Exactly. And it's, it's really invigorating and... Um, it's like nothing else, yeah. honestly. It's like nothing. I, I can't even explain it. Like, once you get past that, like, oh, but we both kind of like this boy, and oh, what do I do? Like, what? None of that matters. You're like, oh, no, this is great. Like, just that that bond of, like, women for women, being together, supporting each other. There's none of that, you know, green-eyed monster. And it's it's like, oh, this is it. You know, I just, oh, I love it. Nothing beats it. Literally yeah. nothing. It's Lorna, cool. I was, um, as much as like, I'm obsessed with this, like women power, I also was really excited to see you on the Glasgow Film Festival lineup. Yeah! You're speaking next week in the Welcome to the Conversation. Yes, I couldn't believe they asked me to do it. I was like, why would anyone want to listen to me? I'm, I mean, <sighs> have you missed the last mad. 50 minutes? <laughs> you're mad, <laughs> mate. <laughs> That's what you need to do next week is just chat. They'll all be like, follow you wherever. Stars, stars in their eyes. Lorna could start a cult and we'd all be like, yeah. <laughs> you imagine? Those aliens in Mars are coming down and we'd all be like, yes. <laughs> That's true. That being said, if I started a cult, we're all moving to somewhere hot immediately. Oh my God, can we? <laughs> like New Zealand. <laughs> if we just upped Scotland and took it somewhere hot. like Yes. That would be amazing. Honestly, that's a plan. That's why the more vitamin D would make us all, I think, a bit better as human beings. (laughs) But that's why Scotland's got shit weather. Because if we were, if we also were like overdosing on vitamin D and also had good weather, like we would be inundated with requests for people to live here. And then we'd be like, oh no, we don't have enough space to fit everyone into our fun club. Exactly. This is literally every time. Every time someone asks about Scotland, I'm like, the place is perfect except for the weather. It's the only thing that would make you go, all right, I might go on holiday somewhere. But apart from that, but it means you need to be compi- it needs, means you need to be committed to live in Scotland. Like you need to yes. really show how much you love being here by putting up with the shit weather. Exactly. Get the waterproofs and you'll be fine. Like <laughs> extra layer, always an extra layer. Wear yes. one more than Ugh. you think you might need. Every time. Honestly, I fall and fall of that so much. That is my own fault. <laughs> Never again. Always wear layers. Layers is the only way to go in this country. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. sorry, we're talking about um, Glasgow Film Festival. Yeah, no, we've got it. We just were giving our own little love song to Scotland there, we'll now just get back to the Glasgow Film Festival. Uh, I mean, it's another it's brilliant been, thing of Scotland. It's one of the best like <laughs> festivals in the world. Like, I'm sorry, yes. fans. I'm sorry, Berlin Alley. Seriously. Glasgow Film Festival is the place to be. It really is, though. Like, it's Glasgow Film Festival and Glasgow Short Film Festival, like, my two favourite festivals. N- not even nowhere to like. And I, I mean, I love Edinburgh. I do. But Glasgow's the best for the film festivals. They really are. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I honestly was like, what? I can't believe you're asking me to do this. And it's, you know, asking the question of, like, how come there's never been, like, a Black Scottish feature film? Which I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know how that's been the case. But if you look at the representation, we're just now getting representation like the other panelists on it as well I do I know them as well which I'm like oh this is great because at least I'm not like with strangers um but like the actresses Moyo um and Morayo her sister their candy sisters oh amazing ladies I love them and I'm determined to work with them one day on something um so they're on the panel as well and just you know they were talking about their experience with like 1745 and how difficult things can be like even if you point out that like I'm trying, I'm trying to be diplomatic, but like, you know, if you point out, <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic because I'm like, I don't know who's going to hear this, but you know, if you're trying to point out that, you know, you want to work with this group of people because they have more of the lived experience and, and it's a diverse crew, like, especially behind the camera. Um, and then they just keep getting pushed back of like, no, we don't know them. They want to work with them, you know, I'm, I'm being as vague as I possibly can yeah. be. So yeah. like getting anyone in trouble especially me um but it's 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 difficult when you're trying to when you know what needs to be done and the gatekeepers are like oh yeah we want to help but also they as long as they don't want to help but it's I I think it's the control in their grasp a bit and it's going quicker than they would like for it to so it's that defensiveness that comes up and it's like we're not we're not being contrary like we're just saying that this is the problem we have the solutions like if you listen to us life would be easier for everyone you know and that's and that's the big thing though isn't it and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of these gatekeepers and I'm saying this for me not for you Mm -hmm. um I a a lot of these gatekeepers are not used to having to listen exactly speaking and being listened to yeah so when and also so therefore like with lots of people when that happens as you say the defense goes up um, because I think there's also something in, um, it's the, I think it's a toxic masculinity thing across society. Mm-hmm. Of, there's something almost seen as weakness by listening to somebody else because it's either, well, they're, they're saying that I don't know that. I do exactly. know that. I'm t- I do know what I'm talking about. Nobody's saying that you don't. They're just saying that maybe about this section of that thing somebody else has more information then rather than it being an issue embrace it exactly I don't get why you wouldn't want to embrace you've literally that's exactly it it's you literally hit it on the nose there they're just used to being in charge and I know exactly what you mean about like the way empathy is seen as sort of more feminine and it's like hmm, nah just it's, it's not it, it's not going to cost you money any more money to listen to us and actually we're saving you from yourselves if you're listening to us there's some stuff like if you've ever seen black twitter lose their mind over something for a good reason you're like so there was no one around that could have warned them they probably were but they probably weren't listened to and now 
here we are. Yeah. I mean, the number of examples <laughs> that you can give her huh, in film and TV. But it's one of these things that, that that's one of the things that has to change. Like we're trying to work in this system, trying to make it work for everyone. It's really not as though, you know, there's a small group of people who are coming through, trying to take all the resources away from everyone else. That's just not the way it is at all. And it's the way it's, that, that's the way it seems to be seen, which is really strange. If you voice something, they're like, oh, no, sit down, sort of thing. Part of that, so, I think, is because that's the way it's been, though. It's been for yeah. a small minority of people. Yes. It's not been open. Um, and that's, uh, no matter what your, your background is, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're working class, it's really hard to get yeah. into it's particularly this industry because it's exactly you know, it's so difficult um you have to have money to the end they i think that's where it is i think they maybe i'm wrong but i think maybe they look at it because it has been they've had their little they've had their little crew and their little pocket mm-hmm. of people and they assume that when other people are coming in to just make things better that they're going to do the same as them yes but actually no that's literally not. it yeah, and I think that that is, I think that's, you know, you've, you've definitely hit the nail on the head there because they say they want things to change, but they don't actually want things to change. So they might, they might, you know, hire, do their diversity hires or whatever. They might hire, oh, yeah, so you're LGBT, also oh, you're a person of colour, you're disabled, yada, yada, but they don't actually change the environment to make it inclusive for such people. And it's like, but why would you say you want change when you're not? willing to change at least be honest about it so we we can stop wasting our energy you know it's the same pretty much everywhere just it's it's why it's so important for people like for allies who are in a position where they can affect change it's why it's so important to affect change like almost take it like further than it needs to go like yeah like I always say like I try to crew entirely female Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't want to crew men. It's because I'm trying to like push it further than it needs to be. Exactly. So it will, like it just like forces a balance. It's yeah. about whatever control, whatever power, whatever opportunities you can give. And ex- it completely ties back into you saying earlier about like supporting people whose voices may be missed because they're nervous in a networking situation. Mm-hmm. It's just catching the people who would potentially be more quick to fall out and pulling them exactly. back into the, like, pulling them back in and like pushing them forward a little bit more. Literally, that's exactly it. It's, it's that's it all comes back to accessibility. Like you can't, you really can't say we want change and then not make it accessible for everyone. I mean, I remember I was at um there was a Zoom WGGB meeting and it was about like it was disabled writers talking about working in I think it was I believe in TV. And one of them like told the most heartbroken, heartbreaking story. You know, his name completely escapes me, but he uses a wheelchair to get around. And he had like a general or something with someone. And this is pre-COVID, so he had to travel. Um, and this person was in a building that was at the top of a whole bunch of steps. There was no like ramp or escalator or anything. And literally, like he, you know, he did his best to get up it and was on the phone to this person that he was meant to meet, being like, I'm not late. It's just there are stairs and I can't walk up them. And apparently by the time this guy that he was meeting got down, um, this particular writer was literally like on the floor, like flailing. And I was like, that's so not okay. That is so beneath anyone's dignity to ever have to be in that kind of position. And for what? And it's like, then you kind of have to like suck it in because, you know, he wanted to get a job from this person. And I was like, that is 
so awful. How, how, how hard would it have been to meet somewhere that has proper accessibility? Why isn't that even in law that every building has to have proper accessibility? I just, it's things that have such simple fixes that just keep people's dignity. And it's that trampling on people's dignity that really gets me. I just, I can't stand it. Ugh. It totally, like, I, I noticed it recently um, when I've been working in this film, I've noticed how inaccessible film sets are. Yes. Like, how could you hire a, like, diverse, like, accessibility crew if they, like, they physically, like, there is no access? And then I kind of, like, mm-hmm. part of me goes, like, the kind of producer in me goes, yeah, but, like, locations are quite hard to find as it is, and you're already trying to, like, juggle the director's, like, vision, and you're trying to juggle the budget and the availability of the location. You've got all these, like, things, and it's like, yeah, but see if we just, like, boiled it down and went, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if all locations were just accessible. Exactly. In it's, law. I, it's it such, should be. Yeah. It's yeah. such a catch-22 and it is such a long, it's such a long game because you can't make these changes immediately, but you yes. do really need to like force, force things like in one direction to kind of like. Yeah. Move it along. Because honestly, it's, 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 it's that. It's at the point when you're trying to make change, you're like, okay, I know that this is what I need to do to make change. It's when you realize like how structural it is. And that's that at that point you then become radicalized. You're like, oh, so it's not even like it's just me. I'm trying to do my best. I'm not bothering anyone, but I can't even do it because the system is decidedly against us. And you realize that the system is built on hating disabled people, on hating anyone who isn't a, a rich white man, basically. And it's like there are different levels of accessibility depending on how high or low you are on the totem pole. It's BS. All of it is man-made BS. It didn't have to be. That is not the natural order, you know? And I just, I hate when people are like, oh, don't rock the boat. You know, you're lucky to be in this position. No, no, no. No, no. Oh, I hate, I hate that. I hate I know. that Honestly, argument. It, it literally, my, my blood boils at like that even like, oh. <gasps> Don't oh, oh my god, let me just drown you. Yeah, <laughs> right, so we're I just, in 2021 now, though, and that phrase is still there of don't honestly, look, like really generally. And you know, like we've said it a million times on this podcast and in life, we call people out, and I'm always like, Oh, we're never getting employed again, ha ha ha, <laughs> ha ha ha, we're never getting employed again. Haven't been employed, ha ha ha. <laughs> Since we started calling people out, oh crap, I rocked the boat. But mm-hmm. you know what? I'd rather fucking rock the boat and make the industry and the world a better place than exactly. like getting away with your fucking bullshit. It really, oh, honestly, I, I just, it's so, so oftentimes I'm like, I am so ready to say things, but because it haven't happened to me personally, I'm like, I'll step back and let the other person say it. But there's, a lot could be done better, even in today's industry. And I just, it's so many things, like the way, you know, you realize that like a lot of disabled people have been kept out of so much stuff because they couldn't physically get somewhere. And then the minute Corona came around and abled people started experiencing difficulty, everything was moved online. So it's like, oh, so we could always do it. We just chose not to do it. That is BS. I just, oh, honestly, like I, it makes me so crazy. I'm like, this world really could be an amazing place for everyone, not just a select few, but here we are. Just the select few are the ones that 
are getting all the resources and are then pointing the finger at other people being like, that person's taking your resources. Don't look at all the coins I've got. Just, yeah. I just. Yes. <sighs> it's the illusion. It's the illusion that things are scarce. Yes. Things are not, jobs are not scarce. Job, like money is not scarce. If the people at the top stop hoarding them. Exactly. Exactly. How is it that, that all the billionaires in the world got richer off this yeah. pandemic and oh. all the poor people got poorer? Would you look at that? The money's going somewhere. It's mm-hmm. almost like it was set up to benefit the people at the top. Almost. Who would have found it? Almost. Like, honestly, I, it makes me, just the more I see what's about the world, I'm just like, I hate this place, but since <laughs> I can't leave it, I'm going to have to do what I can to make it better for other people. That's, I, I suppose that's like my my own thing, but oh, it's it's just, ugh. It is though, I think if you get, even if you give, if you care a tiny bit, it's really hard to sometimes look about at the world and be like, yeah. what is actually happening? Like, mm-hmm. proce- process all of that stuff. But all we can do is try and make it a little bit better. Yeah, and, and it's literally one of the things that got me when lockdown started as well, because you have a lot more time to like look at the news and see how everything is just going to hell in a handbasket. And it was just, you had no, you had the time to process it all. And that was just one of the things that like shut me down. I was like, I, I, I cannot deal with this anymore. It's, it's part of that pandemic anxiety. Everything is just, there's nothing solid to hold on to. We've all been raised to like, oh, these are the jobs that are stable. And, you know, they, these are the places with career progressions. None of that is available. Like the whole world has changed so much faster than anyone is really keeping up with. And it's, really anxiety inducing like yeah. it's horrible never mind the fact that it's a global pandemic and exactly that on top of all that yeah exactly um, <sighs> I think so the, the one thing that we, we do and what you're doing is to make things as be like to make things better and the way we can do it as artists and performers is to tell stories exactly and now you've got your film Hermidas Touch I was actually going to say, do you want to give like a wee kind of um, like short bio of her mind oh, yeah. just to kind of tease and, tease and that's seduce what, That's people. what I was going to say. But sorry. sorry. <laughs> then we got sidetracked I was just, aliens. I was just leading in on my little link and then I was like, oh. and then I just like, I'm going to just interrupt <laughs> you right there. I'm just going to. Fine, apparently I, 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 I need to should time. do Maybe should have we synopsis. Okay, God, what, what can I even say about the synopsis now that I'm changing it all up as well? Okay, so basically, the, her minor touch is it's a family drama that um, revolves around this girl. She's 16 and she lives with her grandmother. She's Ghanaian Scottish and she has this ability to take away people's grief. Um, so she sort of is starting to get hired for funerals or like people that have just recently experienced grief because they can pay for her to take it away and they don't necessarily care about the fact that it takes a toll on her so what I'm really looking to investigate with this especially with the overhaul I'm just making it a lot clearer is the whole the, the way the system is so stacked against black women to the point where it's like who are we outside of our labor if we you know going back to that conversation about an immigrant is still a human being whether they are working as a doctor or whether they are on the benefits like they're still a person it doesn't matter so it's that sort of thing where it's like Esther you know would not be making the money that she's making going into the spaces that she's going into because these are rich people because of the service that she's doing for them 
even though it's hurting her. So that is the sort of thing that I'm trying to explore, basically. <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, that's it. I'm trying to think if I'd given anything away. I had. I don't think I have. No, that's fine. I love it. <laughs> I just, I honestly like it's it's such an interesting idea. And yeah, as someone who's read the script in like in in one of its forms, yeah, I know that visually it's going to be freaking brilliant. And I know that Amy's going to direct it like an absolute boss i know she's gonna knock it out of the park and i'm just i can't wait to get her finally give her the script so she can start doing what she needs to do because she's i've been working on it since like the start of january or maybe the middle of january and i'm just like just be patient i'll get it to you in a bit and i I still haven't so but i will and then we'll like go on from there but i am really excited to to get this going and i it's not as though like i'm setting out to make a statement i really just want to tell a story but sometimes just being who you are makes a statement already and you kind of have to roll with it and it's like oh I guess I'm making a statement but you know this is what the story is about um so you know that's one of the things I'm hoping also to make it into a feature film version so we should see how that goes but uh, yeah at least Scotland is coming up on the map and you know people are making noise about diversity of all sorts not just like ethnic diversity so I'm really honestly I'm excited to see where things are going to be going because I know you know the the big the people with the big money are backing more and more diverse projects which is really exciting to see and it's I don't know if it's because they care really but it's it's a money thing people watch diverse stories people like it you know it's only like a, a tiny minority of you know terrible little people on like social media that are like but why are there black people in this? people like it you're just like, people, but people like it because it's the people that are in their everyday life that they see exactly and that they exactly. haven't so seen like, before on screen and it's that thing again of how are we at this point in time and that, that this is the new thing quote unquote exactly and it's like this is not new it, yeah. you, you just haven't seen it before but it's not new like I know there's going to be a, I'm pretty sure um it was silver print pictures that might be developing something to do with like black tutors because black people have been here <laughs> for a while (laughs) just because you don't see it on tv so like you've now kind of it's in your subconscious now that that's what it's always been that black people only came along from maybe windrush yeah no Um, so you know it's just it's exciting to be able to tell these stories now you know london was a port guys just in case people didn't realize and lots of people came over and then just spread all across the country so you know exactly people Uh, just don't want to read that's the thing i will (laughs) yeah read but there definitely is that is a definite thing wasn't it it's about um you get one narrative of the history mm-hmm. of your life you don't history is set but the, it's what you get taught exactly history is what it is but there's so much stuff that is literally cut out and whitewashed I mean the more like the more I look into just a random historical fact and I'm like oh okay <laughs> that's a lot can kind of see why they don't teach it in school but they should at least address it honestly you know that's something else that's going on in the curriculum like trying to address it honestly because people really do believe that like Britain was this amazing place and the empire was a good thing and I'm like but imagine being on the other side of that though exactly <laughs> like come on exactly. but it's not taught honestly so it's really funny I actually remember as a kid like because I love history a proper love it and I was like hmm. loved learning about the Victorians all of that you know suffragettes yeah all of that um but even probably getting to like 11 or 12 and just starting to kind of listen to stories and things I remember thinking 
Oh, so we just basically went into people's countries and stole their country. We it's went in and took, we stole a country. Mm-hmm. Like let's yeah. be, let's be fucking honest about it. Yeah, you have there. to be honest. There were we people there. Some and fucking we amazing in. empire that was great all the time. We're really fucking not. And the countries that we went into, the stuff that we did is fucking horrific. Mm-hmm. And then our attitude towards other countries that do similar things is we look, we're, oh, we're so above that. And we would never oh. do that. Bullshit. <laughs> Nothing gets my mom riled up more than that when she's just like, they seem, they look so respectable and they talk about Nigerian corruption. And I'm like, where do you think they learned it from though? <laughs> like colonialism is, it still has a huge legacy. Like even me writing this script, I can't, like my family, they speak Chi, right? And I can't, I, can't really speak to you despite the fact that I was born in Ghana and I was there until I was like 10 years old I can understand it on like a 10 year old you know level of understanding but also I'm a lot I'm very very rusty now I haven't spoken to another Ghanaian in a long ass time um but it's it was a deliberate decision that was made that we wouldn't be taught tree at home because we needed to get into the good nursery schools <laughs> nursery <laughs> like you wouldn't be admitted into like the good nursery schools if you didn't have English to a certain standard. So like we would just never, no one ever spoke to us in Chi. Like they'd speak to each other in Chi because they can all, like my mom speaks like four languages and I'm stuck with like one and a half. And I'm just like, well, that's just, thanks. But it's one of those things, you know, like we kind of fell through the cracks of it because a lot of parents made that decision, but mm-hmm. then their kids, one, stayed in Ghana and two, like they would speak Chi, you know, amongst themselves. But we were one of those funny ones where like the schools we went to, you actually would be punished if you weren't speaking a European language so if you weren't speaking English or German no not German French because we had Francophone countries around us you would literally be canes like this is Ghana the caned kids they'll literally I don't know if they still do it but they definitely did it when I was there so you know at that point no one ever says to you that oh your language is inferior not one person has said that people still speak to you like it's not a thing but that's the subconscious messaging yeah so like it's just you know so you don't learn it and then you get older and then you have problems with like belonging because it's like, well, I'm not really Ghanaian enough for Ghanaians and I'm not really like, so it's it's difficult. And then when you finally kind of carve your niche and find your space, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to write out some tree words in the script and oh boy, I have no idea how this would be said in tree. I don't even know if a tree speaker would say it. So it's little things like that. I'm still kind of grappling with, you know, the culture of the country that I was born in. Um, I just don't let it stress me out as much as I used to anymore because it's not worth it. But I'm trying to learn getting there you know but it's literally it's little things like that and that's a big legacy of colonialism Mm -hmm. honestly so it's just you know just one thing that I know we went through but yeah good times right (laughs) but even just the fact that you went through that and that's like really recent history that isn't like you know 50 60 years ago that's super recent exactly so the fact that that is is still running through that Mm -hmm. um, so yeah it's it's wild no yeah. one gets like we don't we didn't get taught like the history of Ghana like my grandmother is still alive and she was born before Ghana was independent like she was born under the queen's rule and I'm just like it's so crazy like it's living memory mm-hmm. still but I think it's something because it's not taught honestly people really don't realize it and it feels like it happened a thousand years ago and it yeah. didn't you know it's a bit like people telling African-Americans to stop talking about slavery and I'm like no the effects are still there because you guys never dealt with it this still needs to be talked about we wouldn't talk about it if we didn't have to like believe us we wouldn't talk about it if we didn't have to so you know it's just dealing with life you know yeah. depending on, on like, like how you identify like, like massive therapy sessions on like 
country levels. Yes. Like, <gasps> you know, like really with all of that. Um, not, that, not, to, not to end this, that part of the conversation, but I'm really fascinated in why you picked grief for um, her, her power to be that she takes yeah. Honestly, that, it was funny because the idea actually came, well, not like funny, funny, but, you know, <laughs> but the idea actually came around. It's not what I'm about to say, it's not funny. <laughs> like, sorry. Um, but no, like the That's idea nice. actually came from. <laughs> just wait until my friend hears about this. Uh, oddly enough, actually, it's an idea that came from my friend and her birthday is today, weirdly enough. Um, she lost her mum. Gosh, I think it's 10 years ago, 2011. That's, yeah, gosh, because I was in uni. Yeah, 2011. So she lost her mom 10 years ago this year. Yeesh, I can't believe I'm just not realizing that. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, so like she's already been through so much. And this was just another thing that had happened. And I was like, I just wish I could take this from her. Like, I really wish it could, I could just transfer it from her to me so that she wouldn't be suffering so much. And then it kind of snowballed like, but what if... It wasn't like I was channeling it into the ether. Like, what if I had to deal with it? Would I still do it? And then it just kind of just became this idea that never really went away. I had this idea in like 2011 and I had no concept of writing anything. Um, and it just kind of never left my mind. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to investigate it. But I think just generally I stuck with it because grief is such a powerful emotion. I don't know if it's the most it might be the most powerful emotion because I think loving someone is all good but you can be calm and love someone but like grief is just this tangled mess of like especially you know if the person that's died if you didn't have a great relationship with them you feel sad but you feel angry and you feel betrayed you feel cheated it's complicated and I think you know that gut punch of I don't want to feel this is something that I felt like a lot of people can relate to more than any other emotion and most other emotions you can deal with but grief is like you're going to take your time to deal with me you know you have to go through all the stages and it doesn't ever really go away so that's what fascinated me the most about it honestly and I was like yeah I want to explore this and see how this can affect someone when the grief is not theirs but they're having to deal with it now like does it have to be connected to the person that died even though it's not their grief like how so yeah I kind of (laughs) I, I did a lot of thinking on that before I managed to streamline it just a little bit there. But yeah, that's essentially where that idea came from. It's, yeah, because when you talk about it, I'm like, it's such a, it's international. Everybody, everybody at some point in their life will experience grief. Yeah. Um, and, and actually the varying different types of grief that there are, because there are, as you've just said. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. You were talking about it. I was like, would I give it away? Like, which is really like, yeah. said to me, I can take this away from you. Would I give it away? And I think my initial reaction is, I don't think I would because it's part of being a human being. Exactly. But if you think about people who are used to paying for inconveniences to go away, that's when you're like, oh, she can tap into money oh, totally. but at a big cost. And as you said earlier about um, the caring role of black women, like as soon as you said it, I was like, well, of course it's a young black female who's getting uh, the grief put on her. Exactly. Because it, um, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, she would have been looking after the house or raising the kid for exactly. really rich white people. Mm-hmm. And it's very much, it's it's that that sense of like emotional labor and also a little bit of, of like, 
even within the family, the older members can sometimes be like, well, I, I went through all of this. So why shouldn't you? Like, you're not better than me. This is what I've been through. So it, it's it's there's partly a little bit of that going as well, where not all, you know, caretakers or parents want their kids to necessarily do better. Sometimes it's like, well, I went through this, therefore you need to go through some kind of suffering too. So that it's it was just interesting playing around with all those little complex things that, you know, that's make a really weird family dynamics. Another great level to it as well, though, Lorna, like that idea of not all parents want their kids not to have it as hard as they had it. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It's one of the things yeah. like my mom is so not like that, but my grandmother is like that. So it's it's, it's interesting because the, the relationship, at least like in the version of the script that you'd have read, Misha, the relationship between the grandmother and the granddaughter was very much based on the relationship between like my mom and her mom. And it's just because it was kind of fascinating to watch how mom, I don't know how this happened, but she's so like the polar opposite to my grandmother. Um, is that like my mom is super caring and compassionate to a fault. <laughs> like I will have to be like, mom, don't. It's not necessary. You know, like she honestly, like a Nancy <laughs> sitting over here. She, I never thought she could like cats, but mom met this wee cat and is in love. And I'm always having to stop her from feeding him because I'm like, I fed him already. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> like she's like, but he's looking at me. <laughs> I'm like, yes, because he knows that you're weak. It's like, that's just the way that she is. <laughs> like my, my grandmother is, is not that at all. So it was just interesting to, I, I feel like it was a bit of therapy for me, just parsing through that relationship, being like, how could this person be like that? You know, for, you know, what is the reason? What made her this way? You know, so it's not that, you know, I, I don't hate her or anything, but it's like, wow, she's been through some stuff in order for this to happen, you know? So, yeah, like, that's the sort of thing I, I, I just found quite interesting to deal with. And isn't that great as well? Because, like, you're creating women on screen that are layered rather than yes. just typical stereotypes and stuff. You know, you could easily have gone, okay, so the, the grandmother is going to be quote-unquote cruel and cold mm-hmm. and we won't go into any more about that because yeah. that's it so that's that so when actually we all know as human beings that there's so many layers that come with that yes in particular women are never for some reason never seem to be given those layers in film and uh, well on screen yeah it's very odd you know like you just think we are at least half the population globally how are we still struggling for proper representation like how does this also, happen? If it wasn't for us, the other half wouldn't be fucking here. Yeah. I mean, really, come on now, give some respect, you know. But it's 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 odd because I'm it's I'm just writing something that feels true to me. I mean, even if I wind up changing some things, like I always that's kind of why I, I can't write something that's not that doesn't feel true to me or something that I'm not interested in, because it would just be bad. It would be boring and I'm not going to do it. It's a lot of money and time to spend doing something you don't really want to do. Um, but you know. It, it feels a little bit like if we had more of that, I feel like we, we, we wouldn't be like the industry as a whole wouldn't be in the state that it was in because now it's all about like, but we, we need proper representation, but they're not hiring people to do that representation. They will still hire the same people to make it look like they have the representation, which causes its own problems. Cause it's like, if you've got like a white male writer who's trying to write a black woman and he doesn't even know a single black woman, of course it's going to be a mess. He doesn't know, you know, so hire the people. Like I just it's it's I keep going back to just the structural change that needs to happen, but it does. And I think I things are shifting, not as quickly as I would like, but at least they are shifting. Um so I'm just hoping that it's not like a trend 
where like everything just shuts back up you know and after some period of time so we'll see we'll see about that but I think I think probably there's a fear probably from all of us that are on that point of view that COVID in some way might end up putting us back that way but but I think there's so many of us that are um willing to keep pushing forward yeah that that we can't go back we won't allow it to happen so they might want to try and make that go back because that feels safe for them yeah but it's like the constant struggle isn't it yeah they're always trying to make it go back and we have to be the ones that keep pushing yeah Yeah. it's the way it goes revolution baby I feel like it is moving exponentially though like I really do feel like the wave of change is too far over that they can't push it back. Yeah. It's going to come crashing down now and it is going to wipe out all these white men. I definitely, you know, like I'm hoping. <laughs> Here's the hoping. Because I, I think I just have that fear that like, it's too good to be true. And it's, it's based on nothing. But, it's not, no, but I think no, it's not based on nothing. I don't, think, mm. Lorna, I don't think it's not based on nothing. I think it's based on what... What's happened before. And history. Yeah. So it d- definitely isn't based on nothing. It's that thing of everybody is like whether you're a female or whether um you know you're I don't know well like you're trans and non-binary and how we're moving forward with that Mm -hmm. there's the whole thing of like well we look at things in the past and we oh we thought at that point it was going to be okay yeah it it wasn't so that of course you're gonna like we've all got that worry but I do I think you're right Misha I think it's moved to a point I hope it has moved to a point where we're at Going to that tipping point. Just see the light on Misha's face tonight coming in our window. I know. She looks like a little angelic. I know. Like she looks like a little angel. It's just gorgeous. (laughs) Listeners, you can't what I miss. Really, it's It's the sunshine from Lorna, like beaming (laughs) on my screen. There's, I'm actually in front of a window. This is all Lorna's light, (laughs) (laughs) lit by Lorna. We'll that get another badge. Like a That'll great be company. Oh my god, that sounds like a wine company, lit by Lorna. Honestly, Lorna. if I made a wine, that's what I'm gonna call it. Let's get lit by Lorna tonight. <laughs> yeah. That yes. Can we make that like happen now, a, please? You could have an entire range. You could have like a full no. product range. You could have your um ring light, you could have your uh, badges, <gasps> you could have your wine. Okay, we need to we need to copyright this bad boy. I know. I'm literally like TM it's trademarked. Trademark <laughs> can't have it. Can't have it. Love it. Oh, Lorna, honestly, you're just such a joy to speak to. An absolute delicious soul. Just quickly, Lorna, when do you think you might be filming her Midas touch so that we can have a little? Yeah. So originally, we had wanted to shoot like. March, April. <laughs> this was this was all we were thinking in January, but COVID having pushed a whole bunch of stuff back, we're looking to shoot maybe June, July. So hopefully nothing happens. And we're thinking that because of the vaccinations and stuff, things might ease up a little bit by then as well. So it yeah. might not be as difficult as it would have been, you know, in the coming next couple of months. So hopefully that's the case. Um and you know, we shall see. We shall see, but well, I'll definitely be keeping you guys updated. Yes, I was going to say once you filmed and got it ready, come back on. Yes, oh and doing? Amy as well. We should do a yes. double, a double. Yes, um, so and 
people can listen to you they can book eventbrite tickets for welcome to the conversation where are all the black scottish feature films yes. uh, next thursday 4th of march 12 30 to 1 30 we'll put that eventbrite link in our insta bio our twitter bio and it'll be in the description Episode. of this podcast as well yes come listen to me ramble yes <laughs> all the queens and kings yeah um yeah. Laura, we will pop all your a uh, social meds oh yeah actually yes please that would um, be but feel free to say them just now as well yeah so you can find me on twitter at um lorna underscore king and that's basically the social media that i use the most i have an instagram and it's called lorney rules just l-o-r-n-i-e-r-u-l-z and that was because it was my Bebo name. I couldn't think of anything else. By the way, I know that's like a throwback. But like, I couldn't think of anything else. And I don't use Instagram an awful lot. So there's so much point in following there. But Twitter is where I'm at, which is terrible. What's her Bebo and Instagram? I love it. I know Bebo. <laughs> Bebo might be coming back as well. I was like, hmm? I've heard this. Oh my God. I know. I've heard Bebo might be making a comeback. Of I course. really hope so because that is my jam. Honestly, Bebo was great. I miss being 13 and hearting people and having your favourite friend and everyone fell out because they weren't on your top five or whatever. Your other half, wasn't it? It was like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> I also have MySpace though, when like, and that was the huge thing when MySpace first came out and you could make your own backdrop. Yes. Like, that was, but that was amazing because that was just like, it, you know, it was like mind-blowing. I was like, oh, wow. I remember asking my stepbrother to and he's no longer my stepbrother it was like my childhood stepbrother for like a short right. while anyway long story very uninteresting my stepbrother <laughs> at the time had a friend who would like design these backgrounds for Bebo and I was like please can you get your friend design one I want it like this I want it bright pink and I want it neon and I want it like with love hearts and stuff and he got me it and I was so excited I was like my stepbrother's friend designed me it so yeah it's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> but never we'd love to have known how to do it because like what a cool thing to just honestly i never knew how to do it i just use the ones you that actually had. do it now but even better when you do like build websites and all that stuff oh and yeah and that's all probably you literally are doing that it's probably why i build websites because i still have that like i never made my own child in me. Page. <laughs> the child in me is like you could build your own bebo page so now you need to like be able to do something that's kind of cool as an adult isn't that great? Honestly, because even I didn't quite, you know, get to that level of making like websites or anything. I could never make my own like backgrounds or skins. I just use whatever someone else had that I liked. I was, I was like, this is cool, but I can't, I will, I couldn't even work MySpace, honestly. I got a MySpace account and I was like, what is this? Oh and then I just, I still got it because I don't know how to delete it. So, I you know. don't know if I could get into my MySpace, but I definitely still have it because I never deleted it either because people just stopped. Literally, it was like people just stopped using it. Yeah, it was so it was weird. Like, That's weird. Tuesday, whatever of 2008 was the last time I was <laughs> on MySpace. <laughs> It'll look very different now. I can't believe it's still running, honestly. I um, I think it's still very popular on the music scene for people showing oh, okay. which was what it was for kind of originally. Yeah. But yeah, before we finish up, Lorna, we'd love to ask people what the phrase persistent and nasty means to you. Well... Persistent and nasty. What that means to me is being persistent and not trying to be nice about it. And that is so valuable because we are always so taught, especially as women, to be nice about things. You have to smile in the face of whatever. It doesn't matter what you're saying. If you're not smiling, you're being rude. No, I'm going to be persistent 
in getting what I want and in changing the world. And I'm not going to be nice about it. And that's yes. just that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, Lorna, what an absolute, absolute star. I, oh, I'm you. so excited for the listeners. You have just had an absolute rocking hour and a something. <laughs> so y'all are welcome. And, yeah. and until next time, Stay nasty. Stay nasty. Stay nasty. <laughs>